Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Tryon. I'm Jeff Harris. I'm the pastor here at First Baptist, and I'm grateful for you joining us today. I must say, podcast might be a bit of a stretch because really this is our weekly sermon, and I'm grateful that you've taken the time to listen to this week's sermon. I will give one word of warning, though, especially to those of you who are driving. Sermons um, from time to time tend to put people to sleep, so if you're driving, be real careful. We don't want you to fall asleep, because we'd love to have you tune in next week. (laughs) I hope you enjoy this week's sermon, although enjoy is really not the intended outcome of a sermon, but I am grateful that you took the time to listen, and I hope you have a great week. I'll catch you next week. The peace of Christ be with you. We welcome you to First Baptist Church. Welcome to all of you who are here in person. Welcome to those of you joining us on Zoom and YouTube Live. We are grateful to be with you and to see you in whatever capacity that is. It is good to be together. And I'm especially grateful to be be back with you uh, in person uh, and to be able to preach here. Uh, Last week, it's, it's kind of when you're, when you're running a Zoom meeting on your computer, you can kind of see everybody and talk about it, but when you also have your sermon notes up there, it's really hard to see anybody, and you feel like you're talking to this little bitty dot on your computer that's hard to look at, and you're really wondering, is, any, is anybody out there? So it's, it's really nice to, to be able to, to lead worship and preach in this way. If you're a guest, we are especially grateful that you are with us this morning, and we hope that you will feel at home here, and more importantly than that, we hope that you will feel God's spirit in our worship and in this community. So may we now take a deep breath, ready ourselves for the worship of God. In the midst of struggle and strife, God is with us. Even though many things in life hurt and disappoint us, God is with us. Come, bring yourself to God. For God will hear your cries and will restore your soul. Redeemer and sustainer. Amen.
Let us pray. Father, we come before you today and ask that you would bless our time with you. We come from good times and bad times and from all different types of lives. Some come to fellowship, some come to seek forgiveness for their words and deeds, some come to meditate in silence. We are here to listen to song, to learn, to talk, to love and be loved, and to worship you. Let us put aside all of the things that have hurt and bothered us so that we can listen and be touched and inspired by your word. Bless us with the inner peace we long for. We pray that you will guide our thoughts and words. As we leave later today, let each of us take one thing we have seen or heard outside the walls of this sanctuary and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray you would lead us now into this time of worship. In our Savior's name we pray. Amen.
responsively with me, Psalm 26. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in faithfulness to you. I do not sit with the holiness, nor with the constant with the hypocrites. I hate the company of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands and go around your altar, O Lord. Singing aloud a song of thanksgiving and telling all your wondrous deeds. O oh Lord, I love your house, house with which you dwell, and the place where your glory abides. Do not sweep me away with the sinners, nor my life with the blood for thirsty. Those in whose hands, hands are evil and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the gracious indications, I will bless you. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is Job 1, verse 1, and verses 6 through 22. There was a, once a man in the land of Uz whose name is Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. One day the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down in it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no other like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God? nothing? Have you not put a fence around him and his house and all that he has? Have you, you are blessed, uh, you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand now and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, all that he has is in your power. Only do not stretch out your hand against him. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day, when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking at the eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and he said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell on them and carried them off and kill the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up your sheep and the servants and consumed them. 
I alone have come to tell you. When he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three columns, made a raid of your camels, carried them off, killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine at their elder brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came across the desert. It struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on your young people. They are dead. And I alone have escaped to come and tell you. Then Job arose. He tore off his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave me, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin. He did not charge God with wrongdoing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
The scripture reading continues in Job, in second chapter of Job, verses 1 through 9. One day the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still persists in his integrity, although you indicted me against him to destroy him for no reason. Then Satan answered the Lord, Skin for skin, all that people have they will give to save their lives. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and flesh, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, he is in your power. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and inflicted loathsome sores on Job from the soles of his foot to the crown of his head. Job took a posture which he used to scrape himself and sat among the ashes. Then his wife came to him and said, Do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. The word of the Lord. Well, I have good news and I have bad news, and so I'll start with the bad news. The bad news is I'm going to preach three sermons from Job. The good news is I'm not going to preach all three of them today. We're going to spread it out a little bit. I don't know if you think that's bad news or not. I'm not sure if I really think it's bad news or not. I do know Job is a very difficult text, and yet that is what makes it so rich and intriguing and mysterious and I've done this before here actually I did a few sermons about Job but it was way back in 2012 so that's almost a decade ago and it seems like to me at least once a decade or so we ought to spend a little time with Job and it is this very puzzling mysterious rich text Thomas Merton once said that if you find God with great ease, perhaps it is not God you have found. If you find God with great ease, perhaps it is not God you have found. And I think Job reiterates that. This is not an easy simple book to deal with and that is part of the problem it is it is a book quite lengthy really and yet you have to preach it in parts in a way and yet you always have to to preach it with the whole of the book in mind or else you kind of miss what I think is ultimately the point I might be wrong on what ultimately the point is Anyone who starts to preach or teach from Job and they don't admit that they may not be quite sure exactly what the point is, I wouldn't trust them too much. 
So my point is, if you don't hear all three of these sermons, you may draw the wrong conclusions, and yet on the other hand, even if you do hear all three of them, you may say, I have drawn the wrong conclusions, and you could be right. Because the truth is, in some ways, I think Job offers more questions than answers. But if you wanted me to boil down Job into one word, I think I could do that, and I think the word would be why. Why? And if you wanted to add a few things to that, a few words, you could say, why do bad things happen? And then if you wanted to add a couple more to it, you could just say, why do bad things happen to good people? That is the question that we all wrestle with at some point or other. It is an age-old question, hence Job, and there is no truly satisfactory answer, at least not in my point of view. And one reason the answers are not really ultimately satisfactory is because really and truly this is not an intellectual question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there suffering? Why is there evil? Theodicy is the technical theological word, of, uh, word for that, the problem of evil in the world. We ask why, and, and, and the truth is, it's not really an intellectual question. Because when we, answer, when we ask this question, we are suffering. We are grieving. We are dealing with loss. And intellectual answers aren't really going to scratch that itch. They're not really going to satisfy because they won't undo the tragedies that happen in life. And intellectual answers actually won't ultimately sustain you. And yet, and yet intellectual answers are certainly worthy of pursuit, and they are best pursued before tragedy happens, in fact. So on the one hand, this kind of intellectual journey that I think as people of faith called to love God with all of our minds that we're on, this, actual, this intellectual journey is worthwhile. And yet at the same time, this intellectual journey will not ultimately sustain you or save you. So I think one of the most troubling aspects of the text happens right up front, and it's this conversation between God and Ha-Satan. That's what it is in the Hebrew, Ha-Satan, the Satan. A more literal translation of that actually would be the accuser. That's what it really means, the accuser. And so we tend to think of God and Satan as these adversaries, these opposites, so to speak, but that is not really the role that the accuser plays here in Job. Really, at this point in Jewish thought, there is no sort of um, yin and yang between God and the Satan. The accuser here is pictured as God's divine prosecutor, if you will, not an adversary. That doesn't happen for several hundred years in Jewish thought. And so I say all that to say the accuser in this text is not the devil as we usually think of the devil. In this case, the accuser works for God, 
And his job was to bring people to trial when God said so, but only if God said so. The accuser has no power to do anything except the power with which God gives him. And so right out of the gate, God gives some power, and it's quite troubling. There's this conversation between God and the accuser, and it is God who, in fact, mentions Job. God's the one that brings up Job. Oh, have you considered Job? That is, did you see this guy, Job? Have you seen him? Man, this guy is something. I mean, this guy does everything right. He is blameless. Blameless. He's upright. There is no one like him on the face of the earth. And then the accuser says, well, of course there's no one like him on the face of the earth. Every time you turn around, you shower. Every time Job turns around, you shower him with blessings upon blessings. I mean, the guy's loaded. He's got more money than he knows what to do with. He's, he's got this wonderful family. He's healthy. He's happily married. My goodness, no wonder he worships you. I mean, do you think he worships you for nothing? If you, if you take all of this away from him, I bet he'll curse you to your face. Well, we'll see, says God. Have at him. You have my permission. You can take away everything he has, just keep your hands off him. That's the limitation. And in two short chapters... In two short chapters, Job loses everything. His fortunes, his children, only he and his wife are spared. And by the end of chapter 2, to be honest with you, I'm not sure he's all that excited that his wife is spared. She tells him to curse God and die, and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. He says, shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not also receive the bad? So Job answers this why question with why not. Why should I receive all of this goodness and all of this beauty and not also receive the bad. Why would I not be exempt from suffering is what Job is saying. I mean, everyone else goes through it. Why would I be exempt? To ask why is an absolutely legitimate question. It is a faithful lament. To even ask, why me? Why me? That's also a faithful lament. But eventually, eventually, the wise person will ask a different question. Why not me? Why not me? 
Now, the moralist, the moralist will say, you just need to do better. Do better and the suffering will go away because if you do good, you will get good. This is, by the way, what takes up the biggest part of the book, Job's friends being moralist. And they bring out all the arguments for it. If you do good, you'll get good. You must have done something bad, Job, or else this wouldn't have happened to you. And it is important to say that this kind of theology is found in Scripture. You'll find it in Deuteronomy. You'll find it in Proverbs. You'll find it in other places. Do good and you will get good. Do bad and you'll get bad. We also call that karma. That's how it's often referred to in popular culture. The cynic, the cynic says, well, what difference does any of this make anyway? What difference does it make? Suffering or not suffering, it's all a crapshoot. God is out to lunch. Get what you can today and enjoy it while it lasts because it will not last forever. What's going to happen is going to happen and there's nothing you can do about it. That's cynicism with a side of fatalism thrown in there. Now the truth is, because I want to be fair here, the truth is there's, there's a little bit of truth in both of these outlooks, in both the moralist and the cynic. Because the truth is, we often do reap what we sow. It's very true, isn't it? Much of the calamity in our lives is our own fault. This is often how life works, but not always. Not always, because there are some things that are out of our control. There are some things that go wrong for no reason. And as the cynic might say, why would we expect differently? Why would you expect anything different than that? Take a look around. So there is some truth in both of those perspectives. But here's what's really confounding about Job. He doesn't sow any bad seeds. That's the whole point. Job has done nothing wrong. He is blameless. He does all the good that is humanly possible to do, and yet he still suffers. In fact, he suffers precisely because of all the good that he has done. <laughs> Had Job not been so extraordinarily good, God would have never mentioned him. That's why it's not me or you in the text. Right? We weren't so exemplary. <laughs> it was Job. This guy is wonderful, blameless. And that's really kind of hard to swallow, isn't it? <laughs> that doing all this good is what gets Job into trouble in the first place. But Job doesn't become the cynic. He could have. He could have just cursed God and died. But he doesn't. Instead, Job says, why not me? Why not me? 
I mean, why would I expect to receive the good and somehow not the bad? Why not me? You see, Job has this thing called integrity. There is integrity in his faith. And that is what enables him to utter in the darkest night you could ever imagine. Why not me? Now, I want to be clear here. I don't believe that God sends calamity our way. I don't really believe that's how the world really works. I don't think this conversation between God and the accuser is intended to be taken literally, and it's certainly not intended to be taken as the norm for how the world works. Hear me say that. This is not the norm for how the world works. Job begins with a little bit of prose and ends with a little bit of prose, but most of the thing is poetry. And in fact, really and truly, the whole thing is this epic poem. And we should read it that way. Because what it is doing, it is trying to make sense of the world. Where does this evil come from? Why do bad things happen? And more than just trying to make sense of those things, Walter Brueggemann, the Old Testament scholar, he calls this, he, he says Job is really counter-testimony. You have this testimony of Deuteronomy, we call it Deuteronomistic theology, where you do good, you get good, you do bad, you get bad. That's, there's a lot of that, actually. And so what he really says is that Job is the counter-testimony to that, saying, hold on, not so fast, not always true. Not always true. And so Job is really there to challenge that testimony. And it does, doesn't it? I mean, it challenges it in spades, and it challenges us. It challenges us deeply. And I think, I think about what kind of integrity someone has who can, in the face of all that, say, why not me? Why, why would I be exempt from the suffering of the world? Because the truth is, the hard truth, the truth that you, you know, you know better than me, those of you who have lived longer than me, you know that life can be really, really difficult. And if you live long enough, you will face tragedy and you will face loss. And that is just a part of life. And there is no intellectual argument, no intellectual argument that can rescue you from that loss, from that tragedy. But there is a God, there is a God who will hold you in those times. Who will not abandon you in those times. 
There is a community of God's people who will hold you in those times and who will not abandon you. Thanks be to God.
Let us pray together. Let's begin this time of prayer with just silence. Open our ears and our hearts and our minds to the voice that we all long to hear. O Lord, we confess that we are not blameless. We confess <clears throat> that we are wounded. We confess that we do not have all the answers. And we also confess that we know where to go to find more than answers. And that is you, O oh Lord. For it is in you that we are made whole. It is in you that we are remade again and again and again. It is in you that we find strength to go on. It is in you that we find a vision for a world that is just and fair. A world that is full of mercy and grace. It is in you where we find a world where there is enough to go around. It is in you, O oh Lord, that we find healing and hope. And we pray, and we pray especially this morning for those who struggle who so desperately need your healing and your hope, those who are sick, those who are lonely, those who are hungry, those who are depressed, those who are alone. We cry out for all of your hurting children, O oh Lord, and we especially cry out for these. I invite you, if you're here in the sanctuary, you may offer names aloud of those who need God's healing and God's hope. And now those of you joining us on Zoom, if you want to unmute and offer names aloud. Emily Donia and her family. Lord, we entrust all these ones we've named to your care because you are good and you are faithful. And we know that you are good and faithful 
because you have come to us in the person of Jesus, one who has taught us how to live, who has taught us how to die, who has taught us how to pray. I invite those of you at home to unmute yourselves and join us as we pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, honor as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Our hymn of response will be hymn 400. I invite you to follow along and read that text as our choir sings the text. And I will be here uh, down front for anyone making decisions of faith through membership. And you can remain seated while the choir sings, or if you'd like, you can stand up, either, either one. want to share just a brief word again about Grace at Forward with you. Jody was going to do that this morning, but she ended up out on the playground <clears throat> helping with Children's Church. She will be in the lobby here after worship, though, to answer any questions that you might have about Grace at Forward, and she'll be there by the sign-up sheets. Many of you have already signed up to, to work on that day, and we are grateful uh, for you doing that. Uh, there are several different ways that you can sign up, and I won't, that you can participate, and I won't go through all of those, but... But there, you, can, you can bring food to help feed hungry families and to help uh, uh, stock our blessing box. So there are ways that you can do that kind of thing ahead of time. From, and then from also from taking coins from, to the laundromat and dropping those off so, so that people can, 
get some help with their laundry to other different kinds of more hands-on projects. Um, thanks to all of you who have signed up, and if you haven't signed up, I hope you'll think seriously about doing that and stop by and see Jody out in the lobby uh, this morning as we leave. And if you haven't heard from your team leader, if you've already signed up and you haven't heard from somebody, you'll, you'll be hearing from them soon. Uh, please know that. We, we do have good news uh, with our COVID cases in Polk County. They continue to fall, and they are falling quite rapidly. Uh, I don't know if you read the email I sent out this morning or not, but for the first time in quite a while, we have fallen, we have fallen out of the high transmission category which is really good. In fact, I think if you, we went from like 101 cases to 64 to 46 to 18. It's a big drop we've had, so that's really, really good news. I'm grateful for that. So if next, if next Friday's numbers drops again or stays below that high threshold, then that means on October the 24th, we will have in-person Sunday school. So we will keep you abreast of that. Um, and as we move toward that, I just remind folks, uh, you know, if you, if you feel more comfortable doing Sunday school on Zoom, we're going to try to figure out some options so that you can at least watch one of those Sunday school classes. If you want to come in person, there'll be options. Uh, we want to try to keep those options available, but goodness, it is such good news to see those numbers coming down. If you go on the North Carolina COVID dashboard, it's quite interactive and you can look around. And the best I could tell from perusing that yesterday we have the lowest transmission rate in the state except for Dare County, which is way out there on the Outer Banks. So I will say there's still lots of COVID all around us, but uh, it really seems to be coming down everywhere, but even more so here. So I give thanks for that. It has been good to worship with you. It has been good to be together. I want to continue to thank you for your faithfulness, for your generosity, I know this has been such a long, slow journey, and uh, I'm just grateful for you sticking with us in the midst of this. So let's stand now for the benediction. May you go in peace to love and serve the Lord, and as you go, remember who you are. You are disciples of Jesus, our Lord and our brother, children of Almighty God. Bound together as brothers and sisters through the Spirit, you are the very body of Christ. So may you serve the Lord with gladness all your days. Go in peace.